Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 61. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Montes. So today we're wrapping up Misunderstood God by Darren Hufford. We are admittedly skipping certain sections of the book. Uh, We have been diligently trying to work our way through the book, have found some, some valuable things, some things that have kind of tripped us up. And as we talked about it, we just thought, you know what, let's just kind of close this one out so we can put it back on the shelf and move on to some other things. So the goal here, just at least for me, just trying to clear some mental space to uh, check the box and say, okay, this one's wrapped up because that's how I like to do things. So, and I suppose some people could say, well, you're not being fair to the book. To be fair, I've read all the chapters. It's just that we're not going to discuss them in depth because of what I'm finding is I don't see that these chapters are like building. They don't tend to build on each other. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with me so far? Yeah, I think so. I think they're pretty isolated. And it's interesting because I'm seeing the same themes under different subject matter. The same themes are coming up in terms of what I think what I would want to focus on and where I would want to jump off. You know, in terms of the things that are difficult for, uh, that I think are problematic, let me say. Okay. My recommendation to people would be, I would give this book, say out of five stars, I'd probably give it three. Three, yeah, I'd probably give it three. Now, and, and to put things in context, I'd give Not A Fan zero, or maybe one, or maybe five, considering how helpful it was in launching our podcast, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you better clarify that last. <laughs> <laughs> I give it a five because it helped us launch this. It gave us, it gave me the impetus to, to uh, start talking about things. But back to misunderstood God. So I would recommend if you have the book or if you've picked it up and are flipping through it and you're like, oh, I'm kind of stuck in the book. I recommend re- reading the last couple chapters for sure. I think chapter nineteen. S- 19 seems to kind of summarize the book. And what, what I thought I would do is is he gives a, tells a story to kind of introduce the chapter. And then he, he talks about, you know, what he found. And this kind of summarizes the different chapters of the book and, and in some ways wraps it all up. But I found it kind of wrapped it up in, a, in kind of an unsatisfying way. So he talks about that he found God to be patient and not envious and not rude and not self-seeking or not selfish. And then I'm going to read on 209 and I'll just read from here to the end. God doesn't delight in evil. He's never tempted to follow lies and fantasies. He doesn't desire romantic notions, just the real you. He can't he can't countenance anything that would benefit his kingdom at your expense. Countenance seems like a strange word there to me, but we'll keep going. He rejoices in the truth about you because he sees who you truly are. And it's beyond wonderful to him. God always protects you from caving into pressure, despair, or anguish. If you'll simply ask him, he will always provide the strength needed to hold you up through the storms of life and carry you in his own strong arms 
to your intended purpose as his favorite, irreplaceable child. God always trusts you with his heart, doors open at all times without exception. He always hopes in you because he knows the endless truth of your never-ending story. God always perseveres, proving he is who he claims to be. He stands through the storm and walks through the fire simply to express his love for you. He will never fail you, never fall short, never fall out of love because he's made of love, the very source of it all. Love is why he soaks through every outward thing that stands in the way to saturate your spirit, soul, and heart with the knowledge of blissful eternity with him. Love is why there's no place, no person, and no created thing that can be separate from him. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wonderful. He is love. To which I'm guessing you would agree that he is love. I just kind of end... And I think this kind of summarizes summarizes the book for me, and then I'll throw it to you, see how you would summarize the book. There's a lot of what, like this is what God is, this is what God isn't. There's not a lot of how, which is how someone like me is reading a book like this. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for the, okay, so you're saying God is love. I want to get closer to that idea. I want to understand it. I'd like to embrace it. How do I get there? There's really no pathway to that that I really see. Well, except that he would advocate that it's through loving people, and I know you have an issue with that. Um, The other thing is that, and and this might sound funny coming from me, backing up his points with something would be really helpful, other than uh, his observations about the current generation and how people, you know, generically across the board think or do. Yeah. Like, the Bible. I mean, the, the Bible. <laughs> being kind of the center point of Christianity, and since the book is about God and Christianity, the Bible would probably be a useful tool here, <laughs> if used correctly. I use that with caveats <laughs> to help bolster his position and also give it a lot more depth. So, would I recommend reading this book? Maybe. But I'm a big one for, you know, time management and efficiency and productivity and all those other things. I don't know. There were some entertaining parts of it, but on the whole, I'm going to go with an undecided whether you should read it or not. I say if you can get it at your library, give it a flip through and uh, tell us what you think. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. With that long-winded, lengthy introduction, (laughs) over to you. Oh, my gosh. You're throwing me the ball. (laughs) I don't know what I want to do with this ball. Um, I, I reserve comment in terms of my star rating for Darren on the misunderstood God. On the one hand, I think specific, you know, especially compared with Kyle Eidelman's Not a Fan, I think there's some real gold in this book that I certainly didn't find in Eidelman's Not a Fan. But there are a couple things in this that I want to touch on and that, that are, are kind of to the point of being disturbing to me in a way that Kyle's book was not. I thought I thought Kyle just missed the mark. I thought his orientation was off. In some ways, I think Darren's orientation is dead on. But the problem is I think he's missing the mark in a way that may even be more misleading. Because he's got more goods. He's got more – he's got some real gold here. But the way he's – some of his perspectives are just – I'm shaking my head and I, I just uh, – I, I, I'm – Frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. He talks about 
his family and he talks about his children and each one of his children is a is like a flame to him and they they're they're different colors of flame and i think there is something in what darren's saying that's that's really beautiful and 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 helpful something a little bit and i think he takes it in a direction that is extremely unhelpful and that is far beyond what its scope should be and it becomes it goes from unhelpful to potentially dangerous and i want to be just i want to focus in on a couple sections to try to explain what i'm meaning um he talks at the bottom of um 204 in the last uh this is chapter 19, the last chapter. Standing there, I realized that inside me, there is a flame of love for that little girl that burns in my chest. He's talking about his daughter. It's a different color for each of my children, and it started with my wife long before they were born. I'm going to skip a few sentences. My entire life is guided by that flame. So here is the point, top of page 205. Here is the point we've been coming to all along. It's very simple, yet incredibly profound. Wise men can't understand it, but as little children... They, are, they were all born understanding it. This one truth has completely changed my life. When you truly love someone unconditionally with all that's in you, that flame of love inside your heart is God. Now, he's made a couple other comments. Um, let me just go back because I want to focus on this idea of love and God. Uh, the previous chapter on page 198, he talks about the love of God is being, quote, in love. The love of God literally is being head over heels in love with people. I'm going to go back a little further. Page 134. The only way, this is two-thirds down the page, maybe three-quarters, the only way to understand God's love is to love people. What do all these things have in common? Why am I reading these three uh, quotations? Because they're all correlating God's love with loving people. When you truly love someone unconditionally with all that's in you, the flame of love inside your heart is God. And and I think I I want to be really as clear as possible. And and I think this is there's no way to say this other than just to be direct. I, I, my temptation when I'm in a situation like this is to draw out as much good as I can and as much value as I can, and focus on that and say, you know, I don't. This is where to focus. I guess if I were to do that here, I would say go back to your Bibles. If you're a Christian, if these things, this this notion of, of, I don't even know how to say this because I I think he's taken this and twisted it. And I think in twisting it, it's a lot of what's problematic in this book revolves around this notion that you understand God's love by loving other people. No, you understand God's love by being loved by God and being in love with God, right? It's super, super clear. It's, 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 you know, Eidelman didn't mention it and I was upset that he, that he was constantly uh, focusing on following and there was nothing about love God entirely, love yourself rightly, love your neighbor likewise. But now you've got this focus on love here. It's all love, 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 but it's the wrong focus. It's wrongly oriented. So we've got the right notion, but we put it in the wrong context and out of that, you're going to go in the wrong direction. I'm, bluntly, that's what I think. I wonder why he goes there, because you kept bringing that out, and at first I was like, yeah, okay, well, I could see how, you know, experiencing love, or loving people could be, you know, the same way that God loves us, but I, what's interesting, what I don't think gets drawn out is the way that he loves God and the way that God loves him in return. 
Well, no, it is, I, I, I was looking for it all the way through. I'm thinking, okay, we're at the end. He's finally going to come, you know, make good on this. But he never does. And then he's got these these strange, strange, like all through the book. Like my, I think my favorite words, my favorite two words that I applied through this book were misformulation and misunderstanding. And, you know, so Darren's got this page 207, most of the way down. All scripture must be seen in light of the flame. He's talking about the flame of loving others unconditionally. It's not the Bible that makes the flame come to life. It's the flame that makes the Bible come to life. No, I don't read all scripture in light of a flame of loving other people. I read it in light of God's love for me, of me being in love with God, and of that creating right relationship between me and what? Me and myself, me and others, me and my world, my physical world around me. And naturally, me and God. So it's it's much more diverse. And instead, we've got this. So we've got these crazy notions. It's not the Bible that makes the flame come to life. It's the flame that makes the Bible come to life. No, it's both. It's reciprocal. Just like I read the text in light of the world, I read the world in light of the text. They're mutually informing. The perspectives are interrelated because I am what? I am a human being living in the world. I am a follower of Christ, devoted to and understanding myself and understanding Christ through the specific revelation of the text. It's not all about the text, but it's not not about the text. You can't do that, right? Where are you getting this understanding from in the first place, Darren, if it's not coming from the Bible? Do you have your own text? Joseph Smith, you got your own <laughs> new text? Or does it all come to you in your head? And so when you were talking about, you know, he could have used the Bible to back up, yeah, he's got all of these anecdotes and all of these analogies. Explanation by way of analogy can be helpful, but, but really it's clarification by way of analogy, not explanation. If your basis for understanding is the, is, is, is the world around you, you see that the problem we were going to fall into with his perspective, is that love does not have an explanatory edge. What In other words, mean? if you think it's love, if you think it's love, and I think it's love, if it's working out right for me with my kids, and it's working out right for you with your kids, and we do it differently, who's to, who's to judge between them? There's no way of adjudicating in Darren's, in Darren's way of doing things. Right? Let, let me come back to it. Right? Um... When you truly love someone unconditionally with all that's in you, that flame of love in your heart is God. So if you've got that type of love, and then he talks to the page, top, top of page 206, like, like, man, if you look to that flame of love you have in your heart for your child and consult it, you will know how to act and react. Really? Do you think most bad parenting is because people don't love their kids or because they totally disregard the love for their kids? Really? Come on. So if, if we're encouraging people simply to look inside our hearts and to, to get connected with the love we have for our children and then we're going to parent right, come on, get out of town. That's, that's not going to work. And then top of page 207, all the answers to parenthood are found in the flame because God is the flame. God is love. And then middle of 207, marriage counseling is for people who blew the flame out whether, or, and either refuse to relight it or think they've forgotten how. Really? Was I in marriage counseling that long because I didn't love my wife or because I wasn't paying attention to my love for my wife? I'm sure that was, that was part of it. But when we reduce everything to that, then we, life doesn't work like that. And I guess this is the problem I have in a nutshell. With Kyle Eidelman, it's the same problem with Darren. So I guess on this level, I'm going to give them the exact same grade. There needs to be a right 
way of relating what we know, what we experience as human beings with what we understand about the Bible as Christians. And those two things need to be compatible and mutually enriching. So with Kyle's view, all you've got to do is follow and it's going to work out. You know, make less room for you and more room for God. Well, that's ridiculous. How in the heck are you supposed to be you if there's less of you going on there? And how can God be a God who loves you if God doesn't want to have you in the picture? Well, Darren's just the opposite. You're all over the place. You're everywhere. You're everything that's, that's important. And so when Darren talks, man, like I had question marks, page 209, his second last page. I just had question marks everywhere. Like even when you, I think you started reading with God doesn't delight in evil. And then two sentences down, he can't countenance anything that would benefit his kingdom at your expense. Are you kidding me? What does that mean? Well, I think it means that the kingdom of God is essentially about me. What is countenance? He can't countenance. I've never seen countenance. I've never seen that word used in that context. I think he means he can't tolerate or he won't put up with. And I just think, yeah, God will put up with things that make it difficult for me. Even, even more than Darren's notion of, you know, he writes in an earlier chapter about uh, being in, receiving immunizations. And immunizations are, are painful, you know, as a child, the syringe is painful. And it's also the effect of being, having the inoculant, the actual antibody, the, uh, well, whatever it is we're trying to create antibodies against in our bloodstream. Like that doesn't, that's not a, uh, you, you might have a fever or whatever, low grade. It's not, it's not pleasant. But, but even more than that, part of the sense I get from reading Darren, it's almost like our responsibility he tells a story about a, uh, a pastor who has a, uh, a pornography uh, issue. And uh, I'm trying to get there. Just a second. But I thought this was, this was kind of typical of some of the stuff that I think I'm understanding when I'm reading. But the, the idea that, that oh, <laughs> when, when this pastor understood how much God loved him, he just stopped his pornography. You know, and it doesn't work like that. It, in other words, we're decomplexifying and we're taking a matter that's much more complicated oftentimes. You know, I'm a big advocate of, God, of being in love with God and loving God. But number one, that is not about loving people. Does it, does it involve loving people? Yes, but it's, in a, it's, it's within a process of number one, being loved by God, loving God entirely, loving myself rightly, and then... And then, only then, am I able to love others likewise. So when you're telling me a story about how you love people, you're telling me the middle of the story. Why on earth aren't you starting at the beginning? The, the, the one other thing I want to mention before we end here, and, and because I think this is, this is very, very dangerous. See, we're going in the same direction here, John. This, this, this really disturbs me. Love is inside of us. Just look to the flame and you'll make the right choice. Top of page, page 150. The truth is already in you. It's in little children. When you hear it, it should be something that you already knew in your heart to be true. Then he goes down to the middle of page 150. Keep this in mind. All truth must pass the child test, in quotation marks, child test. If a child intuitively understands it, it's probably truth. But if it's too complicated or doesn't match what a child inherently knows, it's probably a lie. If you want to know God's heart, you must learn to think simply. And with your heart, as a little child does, the harder you try to intellectualize faith, the the further away you'll get from understanding. No. No, sometimes the simplest thing we can say about something is that it's complicated. And that includes Christian somethings, 
biblical somethings, life somethings. So this idea that the love is already inside of us and it's going to guide us and it's going to show us what we've got. No, you know what? There are things that are wrong with me. And I make misguided choices out of the best of intentions and hoping to fan the flames of those intentions. I still make very misguided choices and can misunderstand. The truth is inside of me? No. Sometimes, sure. Some of it, yes. I'm not saying that Darren's completely off the mark, but I'm saying that Darren, what I see through this book is I see these broad, broad brushstrokes, this globalization, you know, this generation, et cetera, comments about who we all are, what we've all believed. It's Darren generalizing from his or globalizing from his experience to ours. No, that doesn't work. And then you've got this, these, these, these huge broad statements about truth and love that, that would essentially say to us, listen, you know what, guys? You all really have a good sense of what's going on. You're just not, you've been, you know, as, as the, I guess in a certain sense, as, as the back of the book says, have you been lied to about God? Darren's suggesting you've been lied to about God and you're believing these lies. Go back to what you know inside of yourself and you're going to get yourself to the right place. And I say, no. Maybe you will. Because that depends on what's inside of you which could be different from what's inside of me. And I'm not making, I'm not even making a theological point. Like, you know, uh, people are, you know, everybody's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, this, this idea that, that we're, we're, you know, um, we're misoriented by nature to God. I, I'm making a practical point. Go out and live your life. And, you know, there are times when we go and at things with the best of intentions and where we, we really kind of refocus and we, we succeeded in refocusing to the best that our lenses are able to focus. But you know what? There's problems with our lenses. And that's something that, you know, biblical faith, that's something that uh, psychology, uh, that, that's something that a number of different orientations to the world and disciplines can help us to evaluate and correct. But Darren's not getting us closer He's not getting us anywhere near close enough to evaluating and correcting those things in order for them to be functional. And that's why I think this book is incredibly misleading, more so than Eidelman's, because I think Darren touches on some things that are very true, much more so than Eidelman does. So I'd give him a higher mark on the good parts and a, a lower mark on the bad parts, actually. And that's what I think. Okay. <laughs> this could be our shortest episode ever, and I think that's Okay. <laughs> All right. I can't think of anything else to say, and I'm afraid if we keep going, we'll just repeat. Well, I, I guess the, the other thing, I'd, the, the last thing I'd like to say is I, I am frustrated. You know, I am really, really frustrated. I guess, I guess the point that I had out of this part about truth where he said, um, the truth is already in you. It's in little children. When you hear it, it should be something that you already knew was in your heart to be true. And I thought, well, what about, is this why Darren doesn't use any exegesis? Coming back to your point. Is this why there's nothing really in here about what is there, – there's no biblical, if you like, backup for the points he's making. And I think this is why he gets, he gets to the point where he can say things like on page one, 209, he, meaning God, can't countenance anything that would benefit his kingdom at your expense and then your intended purpose as his favorite irreplaceable child. And I, I think, you know, it's why he's making these disjunctures. I think we are. God's favorite irreplaceable children. Absolutely. I don't think that's our purpose. Our purpose is to be in right relationship with God and to be collaboratively working for the realization and the coming into being of God's kingdom, which, you know what, may sometimes be at my expense. 
not in its total sense or not in it's not its purpose. So I guess, you know, I'm I'm much more frustrated by this book in the end, I think, than I was with 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 not a fan. You know, I think that not a fan was worse. Um that it didn't highlight the certain certain things. And I I, I guess I am repeating myself here, but I'm just I'm I'm really I think that's the danger. There's a there's a danger when you make truth something that you know and intrinsically know in your heart and you've got this quote-unquote child test where truth has to pass something that a kid would recognize and understand man you better hope everything is super duper simple and you know what life is not super duper simple christianity is not super duper simple some things are some things aren't but you globalize a test and you've de facto excluded you've excluded not only criticism but a lot of conversation you've excluded a lot of different perspectives then and you've, end up, you've ended up marginalizing people. I guess my, my expectation, I really hope that he was going to pull something out a little bit more than what he's done. And I think what I'm seeing here, and the two things, the thing that I would make, the, the common points I would draw between these two books are when you get off track. So Kyle Adam in page 21, life is about heaven or hell. And when that's your focus, you're going to, you know, you can trace a line through that way of thinking and you can look down and it's all going to be about, yes, following Jesus, about pushing harder, more duty, less of you. And ultimately there's not a lot about love. There's a whole lot about God being sovereign and there's a whole lot about doing what you're supposed to be doing. And when you look at Eidelman's, uh, pardon me, uh, uh, Hufford's perspective and you've got the sense of truth within you, everything is simple, should be clear. Uh, the, the flame that's in you for loving other people is God, not from God, from God. Sure. But it is God. No, because, and then what you've done is you've, you've almost deified that, that understanding you have within yourself. And again, you're, you're outside of critique, other perspectives that may come in, um, you know, they've got to pass this simplicity test or, or their bunk or their likely bunk. I think it'd be interesting to talk to him if we could. I, I mean, I'm a little uncomfortable with, I don't have the, the page in front of me where you're referring to the it passing the simplicity child test. I, I don't know. I, my, my gut there is maybe you're putting too much weight on that. But I don't, I don't know. We'd have to talk to it. In other words, <laughs> I, <laughs> my concern there is, is maybe you're making more out of the point there than he intended. But we don't, we don't know. So, well, it could be, but it's, there's other stuff here. Like on page 132, all fear is evil. You know, he's talking about being afraid about God. Um, instead of instead, the kindness of God leads people to repentance. He is not a bully. He will never bully you into doing anything that he wants them to do. He doesn't use evil to fight evil. And he's talking about the idea that thousands of people are terrified of a God they suspect will destroy their livelihood or family to prove a point. He's talking about the whole idea of of, of hell. And I think to myself, no, all fear is not evil. Like, come on, really? I guess, I guess this is where I'm going. Like, if you've got this simple, simple, simple way of thinking, this is probably where Darren comes across here. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Uh, I, there are a lot of things I need to be afraid of. And there are a lot of things if I don't need to be afraid of or want to be afraid of, well, the fear of them is still a, a, a real and legitimate thing. And, uh, you know, I think mixing up the notion that, you know, you can have misconceptions of God and they can be highly problematic versus, you know, fear is evil. All fear is evil. Uh, 
And that's uh, page 132, and he's italicized that, you know, for emphasis, all fear is evil. So uh, maybe I'm making more of it than he would, but I guess I would say he, this is his book. And, and I'm sure editorial um, rights to, to the side. Darren had the, um, he has the freedom to write it as he wanted to, and he's written it as he wanted. Maybe he would cut back against it now, I don't, but I don't know that. I haven't listened to his podcast, and I haven't read anything recently by him. But I think he has the responsibility to write what he meant. And I think more or less, you know, I'm, I'm pick, he's, he's pretty clear about some of this stuff. And, and I guess I'm, I'm being clear in reply that I, I, I think there's some, some big danger here. So, All right. So if you've read the book, let us know what you think. If you think we've completely missed the mark, tell us that as well. If so, how? It wouldn't be the first time we've gotten some good direct feedback. So, I, I thought you were saying it wouldn't be the first time we've totally missed the mark. <laughs> I was like, oh no, <laughs> what's been happening? Yeah, and I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't like coming. I like, I feel badly saying some of these things. It's not how I want to say what I want to say, and it's not the type of orientation I want to have. And I guess I feel a lot more comfortable being a little bit more academic, academic about it, and and, and being, you know really precise and sort of looking into things a little more deeply and not feeling like I need to or want to drop the hammer. That's just not my orientation. So I'm, I'm, I I guess at the end of the day, I'm sad because I I didn't really want to say those things, but they're what I believe. Well, the spooky music means only one thing. This episode's over, but another one's on the way. Thanks for listening to Untangling Christianity. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment at our website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 61. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com and if you're looking for just one more way to give feedback on the podcast we're running a survey untanglingchristianity.com slash survey music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a creative commons license thank him for his generosity by supporting him at his website Tune in next week for a new episode.